Do you like comics? We're here to talk comics. This is the Superhuman Registration Podcast. I mean, are there any f- non-fiction stories that aren't allegories for at least something? Non-fiction stories? Yeah. Or wait, fiction. Sorry, I mixed up the two. The other one. Yes. Um, I don't know. It's like, uh, I feel like everything's like an allegory. Or Tolkien to hated allegory. Uh huh. And yes, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's like, hey, bud. Uh, <laughs> do you know what you're doing? Yeah. Yeah, because I feel exactly. I feel to an extent everything that like in not everything, but every book has to have at least some aspect of it that is an allegory because we draw on personal experiences. So like unless you're writing like nonfiction, it's gotta be like an allegory for something. Right? Like something has got to be. I was an English major and I can tell you that the entire uh, program exists solely to generate allegories. Yeah. See, I could have been yeah. a good English major. But I decided to go into a different dying industry, but also about writing. <laughs> <laughs> good old written journalism. Also being replaced by AI. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Well, I think, did you hear about like what the World of Warcraft community did? No. What did the WoW community do? They Was made up. What did they eat? Something racist. Did they eat a lot of Cheetos? <laughs> no. So it was actually pretty ingenious. So they they set a trap for like AI journalism, where on Reddit and like several other gaming forums, they created a fake expansion, with like fake features that were coming to this fake expansion, and just kind of talked about it as if it was real kind of en masse across, you know, different forums and stuff like that. And then like, within a week, there were all these, like, AI-generated articles talking about this upcoming expansion with all of these fake features that were going to be added in or stuff that was going to be taken out. And it was just kind of funny to see, like, that in effect. They... That's cool. It's not as cool as what the image trap for an AI generates in my head, which is basically one of those... Uh, Ghostbuster mouse traps that captures Skynet. <laughs> captures Skynet. Uh, I think you almost described the plot of the new Mission Impossible movie. A little oh, bit. Hey. I thought it was click all the images that have a griffin in them, you know, and it was a wild theme. Like, oh, man, there's a website I use that has a captcha that hates me. And there are times when I question whether or not I am a bot. I always get worried because it's like, well, there's a corner of a crosswalk in that square. Do I need to include that? Or how how picky are we getting? And yeah. 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 And then you pick it and it's like, nope, you failed. And it's like, oh, I shouldn't have. Didn't I? It. Yeah. I followed the spirit I, of the assignment. Yeah. It's like, what constitutes as part of the stoplight? Is it just the lights or is it the pole as well? I don't know. And I don't think I ever will, really. That's a philosophical question. Like it's it's how how far up the light post do you creep before you've entered a different object, right? Yeah. It's, it's like the ship of Theseus for robots. <laughs> Wait, no. That was WandaVision. <laughs> that was WandaVision. We should just start asking the robots like is a hot dog a sandwich and just see if they can make it. Just be like, can you get it through this very human conversation? <laughs> I hate that conversation. It was such a passion. I know. It's like, it's a hot dog. Why are we talking about this? It it comes up every time I go to some sort of like work outing. Somebody will inevitably bring it up. And I'm just like, why? It's fun. It's a fun thought experiment. No. (laughs) A fun thought experiment is how many monkeys could I train before I would be able to take on the the Roman army? Like, that's a fun thought experiment. About 3,000, I would guess, unarmed. It's tricky. Here's, here's the thing. A hot dog is a sandwich. <laughs> if if you think a tomato Pop-tart, is a fruit, a Pop-tart, and we're going to die a on that Pop-tart hill. Pop-Tart is a ravioli, <laughs> and cereal is soup. Oh, you're going by oh. that one. Okay, it's okay. By that oh. matrix, I would agree. 
<laughs> just pure logic. Take take your passion out of it. Fine, fine. That's, I like that's... I like that matrix though. <laughs> Technically correct, the best form of correct. <laughs> Um, speaking of technically correct, we have an artist to talk about today who's pretty good at this artist gig. Yeah. Very good technical skills. There you go. I, 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 follow, I closed up your segue. I, I appreciated that. This is the Superhuman <laughs> Registration Podcast. We tend to read, review, and rank Marvel Comics. Uh, but a couple of months back, we tried something a little bit different by uh, evaluating the career of a single creator. We still ranked some comics, but... The, the purpose of the discussion wasn't about the merits of the stories as much as it was about the the skills of the creator and the uh, progress that they made over the course of their career as ascertained by three armchair layabouts who have nothing better to do but read comics and, at least in the case of two of us, procreate. Uh, so <laughs> we're here to talk about the, the recently passed John Romita Sr., someone who I know primarily by reputation. I have not read a whole lot of Romita Sr. comics, and it turns out there's actually not all that many. Romita Sr.'s main contributions appear to have been primarily behind the scenes and also covers. However, this was a fun project. Really enjoyed reading up on him and uh, looking at some of his work. I'm excited for these conversations. Anyway, John, I think you are uh, going to give us a, sort of a brief bio. Yeah, um, born in 1930 in New York City and died just this year, June 12th, uh, in New York. And, um, you know, his son also is, you know, very big in comics. And like you said, you know, he, he started as a professional artist and, you know, first paying gig was at 19 and did a little romance comic work for DC, worked for um, Atlas, Timely, both, I think, throughout. We read his Captain America comics uh, tonight, we'll get into that, but um, came to Marvel and took over for Steve Ditko and kind of established the look of Spider-Man and, through his work as an art director, the look of Marvel. And you see that in his style, this very clean, very classic look. Um... The more I read several like obituaries about the guy and, and, and a lot of, you know, bios and everything, and you always worry that you're going to scroll down in Wikipedia and hit the controversy section, and I, I didn't see one, I don't, and, and, and well-respected and liked by all, and that's uh, inspiring. Um, he, you know, had a lot of accolades, won a lot of awards. He said about himself, no matter what success I've had, I've always considered myself a guy who can improve on somebody else's concept, he said. A writer and another artist can create something and I can make it better. And I think his work speaks to that. So uh, he will be missed and uh, appreciated by all. Yeah, really seems to be like a stand-up guy mm-hmm. and very well respected. And I got to say, I, I quite like his art. Yeah. Um, so the stories that we picked to look at uh, to have this discussion. Uh, first of all, like, like John said, there was an issue. We just grabbed one issue at kind of random from, uh, his run on Captain America, uh, issue 77. Uh, this is the series that has the, the lovely subtitle Captain America Commie Smasher. Uh, we also read the two-part daredevil spider-man crossover not really a crossover spider-man guest stars in daredevil uh number 16 and 17 we read amazing spider-man number 42 which is the first on-panel appearance of mary jane tacked on at the very end of a story involving uh j jonah jameson's son getting superpowers and getting tricked into fighting spider-man by his heel of a dad and then lastly we read uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 500, which is one of the last stories that Romita... It might have been the last story that Romita Sr. did any interior work on, primarily uh, finishing up, I believe, uh, the work of John Romita Jr. Now, I'm going to go ahead and say that we do tend to rank these stories at the end. I don't believe we should rank issue 500 because it is part three of a three-parter, which is not something I realized... <laughs> Um, but I think we can probably go ahead and rank the other three stories that we read. Okay, so as we went through this, what are your kind of like initial impressions, initial thoughts of of Romita's journey as much as we can glean from the comics page? 
I could see an evolution in the style, um, and how at first, you know, it seemed to be kind of following this, the style of the time, and then got more into his own, and really with some of those Spider-Man issues, we get much better poses, um, the layouts are better, and, you know, it just feels more like classic Marvel, um, you know, we get a bit of that early on. You can tell that, okay, this is an attempt at a heroic pose by Captain America, but we really get it with Spider-Man, um, particularly when he's fighting Daredevil and, um, you know, see what kind of defined Marvel thereafter. The earlier work kind of feels more like a strip in a, in a newspaper um, uh, instead of a comic book. And that's, I mean, that's at that time, as I understand it, the better gig was doing a newspaper comic than comic books. Comic books were thought to be just for kids, and they were just printed on garbage paper, and no one really gave him any any mind. Um, but I I think you know he's he's one of those big names in comics that you know made people take note and take it seriously. Yeah, I think there's something like really interesting in seeing that evolution, where kind of like John said, it's maybe a little stiff at the Captain America book. That's very early on. But yeah, with the Spider-Man stuff, there's a, like a real sense of, uh, you know, dynamic movement. Uh, kind of to that point, too, is on the Spider-Man books, I kind of felt like I had to read to really get a good grasp of like the story going forward. And maybe because it's a bit more of like, like slightly more political stories. But as I was reading... You know everything else the storytelling aspect of like the art really bumped up to the point where mm-hmm. i think in a lot of that daredevil book you they really could have done more with less because they were doing a good job at conveying a lot of the story without so many thought bubbles like they felt extra and not necessary especially for that time where a mm-hmm. lot where that is kind of the standard right like that was the standard that is my number one complaint with reading anything before like 1992 which is that there's right? just so much <laughs> so much text all the time explaining everything when like a lot of the time the art you know if it was doing a little bit more like just maybe 10 percent more you wouldn't really need it but even if it was doing that more as we see here it's still there but yeah wasn't there it was in the the daredevil i think it was issue 17 there was actually a panel with an editorial note that said uh this is the most word balloons that have ever been featured in a comics panel yeah it got a no (laughs) prize and i i was like oh aldo skipped this one aldo didn't read all this nonsense (laughs) because it's oh it was a it was a relief when i got to those books and like the art was actually doing such a good job with the story that like i was skimming through a lot of the text because a lot of the text Mm -hmm. is just people pointing out what they're doing and the art was doing a good enough job at it that it felt a little superfluous to be honest that's what drives me crazy is those old comics where they're describing literally what they're doing and it's oh i i don't i i mean if we didn't have the old stuff we wouldn't have the new stuff but man they could do it so much better with just you know minimalizing that where you know, we see what the character's looking at. We see a facial mm-hmm. expression. We can put it together without uh, an entire big, huge caption. They actually do a pretty good job at that in the Spider-Man book, or, or I mean, you know, Romita does in the writer, which is, you know, at the beginning of it, when he's leaving the bank and he's, he has a lot of, you know, he has the bag with him with like the bomb that, you know, we find out later. That's what was in there. They don't really go into a lot of thought bubbles for Spider-Man at the beginning which really helps kind of amp up that mystery. And what we see is mostly text from other characters. And I was like, ooh. And on the next page, it immediately goes back to a lot of the thought bubbles for Spider-Man. And we immediately kind of get the, not the full reveal, right? But we get the whole, oh, no, they're going to think I'm the bad guy and blah, blah, blah. Like, all that stuff starts happening, you know, like, immediately, like, a page or two after. And it's like, oh, well, there goes a little bit of that tension, but, I mean, it is a Spider-Man book, so, like, tension is a coin flip. Yeah. Um, it's, it, so, a lot of these early Ditko and Romita Spider-Man stories have been adapted multiple times. A lot of them were directly adapted into stories in, like, 
uh, Spectacular Spider-Man, the the cartoon, or you know, a lot of it was the underpinning for the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films. Nobody has ever adapted this story of you know the first time Mary Jane appears on panel because that's not very interesting. But I agree that the (laughs) art is quite compelling. So um, something that I kind of personally noticed as I was reading through these, the Captain America story, I don't think it's entirely fair to say that the art isn't doing any of the storytelling, Um, but it's very unsophisticated. Like the panels are so busy that there's so much stuff going on. They're trying to get through so much plot that they need to have uh, more sort of explanations to kind of draw the line through from panel to panel because it's not uncommon for us to switch scenes dramatically uh, once or twice. Like you can have two or three different scenes on a single page and there's a lot of heavy blacks, but not in like a cool stylized way like what you get with creators like Mike Mignola. It's just very... It looks very busy. Now, technically, I think the art is actually pretty good in those Captain America stories, um, minus the the racism and the caricatures and all of that. Oh, gosh. Because, uh, boy, was that a thing. Ooh, yeah, especially I read that. I think that was the first book I read, and I was like, ooh. Yeah. Well, at least it's all but by the time you get there, to... honestly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mostly. But by the time you get to, like, the Spider-Man stories... It looks like there's a lot more discretion, a lot more discernment taking place in like how much detail we're using, where are we applying these shadows. Uh, There's a lot more, and it's still, you know, they're very crowded panels with a lot of word balloons, but there's more trust in the ability of uh, the, the blank space on the page, the negative space on the page to like, help direct the eye uh not to mention the fact that i don't know romita draws really interesting looking faces like they're very good charismatic faces some of them especially some of the female characters he draws like i look at them and i think that they could be done today. I think of someone like Mike Allred who likes to draw, you know, he draws himself a pretty girl. There's a there's a some sort of genetic relationship between Romita Sr. and Mike Allred's style, at least when it comes to drawing women. Um, yeah, just some of these images are just still appealing even by modern sensibilities. Yeah. Although, fun fact. So, John, you mentioned that Romita did uh some work in romance comics yeah um so i read through these books and i felt like i needed a little bit more background and so i grabbed a book from uh the library digital library fantastic um checked out an ebook called the romita legacy which is a uh, publication that um was put out by i want to say dynamite studios and it covers the careers of both Romitas in comics and has interviews with John Romita Jr. and Sr. I'm only about halfway through the Romita Sr. interview. I wasn't able to finish it before we started recording. But anyway, in that interview, he mentions... Uh, he, you know, he kind of moved around in the industry, wanted to get a career in illustration... And there was a point where he was getting back into comics and he felt that, or not even felt, he could not draw attractive female characters anymore. And he had to really knuckle down and get back to work at it. And I think that's so funny because when I think of John Romita, I think of those original designs. Well, I guess not the original design for Gwen Stacy, but like, Romita did the iconic designs for Gwen Stacy and Mary Jane. And that's what I think of. Yeah. Like the Spider-Man costume is all Ditko, I think. Uh, Kirby apparently claims to have contributed to the design as well. I don't know that we're ever going to know that full story. Um, J. Jonah Jameson was designed, I believe, by Ditko. Uh, 
the the Norman and Harry Osborn, like all of these iconic Spider-Man characters, most of them were designed by Ditko. But the girls, you think of you think of Romita. So yeah. I just think that's really interesting that he had this weakness or what he thought was a weakness in his art. And then he just knuckled down and did a bunch of live drawings, started drawing as many women as he could until he was more comfortable with it. And now, you know, iconic yeah. character designs. It's always good when you have a, a example to point to of hard work paying off and not just, well, they were born into good circumstances and they got a leg up from a connection from their parents and there were, one thing led to another. And yeah, yeah, that's and that's it's surprising that he needed to brush up, you know. Like ever, if it is. good artists will continue to evolve throughout their career and change the way they do things, but you you'd think you know John Romita Senior drawing you know pretty comic girls is like you know a duck on water or something like, but that's that's inspiring to hear that the greats you know still practice and try to improve. Yeah. Yeah, that is actually really refreshing to read. I, th- I think especially because a lot of the time when we see these evolutions of artists, right? Like, I think a really good example is probably Todd McFarlane. Because yeah. you can see a pretty straight line of, you know, his skill as an artist and story writer evolving from, like, the first Spawn issue all the way up to current. So, like, that's awfully convenient if you want to see that, right? But to see... When we see that, we don't really think about the training they do, right? Or, like, what hiccups they have or stuff like that. I mean, you can think about it. But kind of like, you know, we talked about here. We were like, yeah, you know, he improved in his storytelling and so on and so forth. But we don't think about the stuff or, like, the effort to get better at it. And I think that's that's kind of interesting. How, how, how much it improved from their first draft of the page to yeah. what was printed you know, we don't see how it how it improved, how many times they erased, how many times they fixed mm-hmm. a pose, how many times they had yeah. to redraw that one stupid wrist that's in, you know, foreshortened to <laughs> this pen. You know, we don't yeah. see any of that. So it's, yeah, easy yeah, to say, I, oh, this isn't as good, but we don't know how much work was put in every mm-hmm. And it's also like another thing, especially like here, right, where like you can say, yeah, he probably got better at visual storytelling because he was drawing so many comics so that's something that you are progressively going to get better on but to think about like no he's actively working at drawing like better women or drawing women better (laughs) is like a different thing right like that is an active thing that he was like focusing and practicing on it's not just something that happened through like practice and repetition like i think panel work is probably one of those things that you can practice with it like a lot and like you can probably like read books on it but i think in that scenario, like paneling is probably something that you learn more by just doing it. Have you ever tried to draw a comic? Yes, I have. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we can we all know you do it, and it's like this this isn't this isn't right. This is hard. This is harder than it looks. Why didn't anybody tell me this? <laughs> Why didn't tell me people get paid for this because it's not an easy skill? <laughs> it really is not. You know, I drew one in third grade, and it was just for me, and it was fun, and then looked at the art like a year later and just threw it all away. Part of me wishes that I kept all of them, but part of me remembers, no, it was bad. You should have thrown them away. It was a good choice, but, you know, eh, it's hard (laughs) to do it well. Also, um, Mary Jane was modeled after Anne Margaret, who's still alive and could have been um, a, uh, I think she would have been a good uh, Aunt May in Spider-Man if they had used her. That would have been a nice little, like, you know, um, full circle kind of moment where the woman who inspired, uh, you know, Mary uh, Mary Jane got to be in a Spider-Man movie. I'm looking her up now because I know the name, but I don't think I've ever seen a movie that she's in. Oh, she was in Newsies. Just kidding. (laughs) I have seen Newsies so many times. I forgot she was... I've seen The Cincinnati Kid, but I guess I guess she was the girl in that. I think there was only one girl in that. It's all gangsters playing cards. But grumpy old men, of course, and grumpy old... Anyway. So one of the things that I think is interesting about Romita, to take this back to our uh, subject, it is really interesting to to look at these books, um, especially his his 
formal Marvel work, not the not the Atlas comic. But like, I kind of get the sense, or I kind of got the sense when I was reading, especially the Daredevil, that he was trying really hard to uh, kind of mirror Steve Ditko. Um, and there was a little bit of that still when we got to the Spider-Man book, because those books came out like within a year of each other, if I remember correctly. Right. Um, oh, geez, within a couple of months of each other. Uh, and then reading through uh, the Romita legacy, yeah, like he he admits that he was very consciously trying to imitate Steve Ditko and uh, follow the, the sort of style that that Ditko had established. Um, but it's interesting to kind of follow Romita through his career and uh, then honestly follow through to Romita Jr. and just see how they reflect the sensibilities of the eras in which they work. And to a large part, especially in the case of Romita Sr., define them. Like, I look at Romita Jr. and I like uh, Romita Jr.'s artwork. I know that sometimes that's a little contentious, but I see a lot of like Frank Miller. He he, he has a lot of Frank Miller's art in what he does. There's a little bit of David Mazzucchelli and some of these other artists that were really popular in the, uh, especially the the '90s and also somewhat the '80s. Um, but when I think of like what do '80s comics look like, they look like John Romita Senior comics. Yeah. Some of them better, some of them worse, but that's, like, the style that Romita Sr. adopted is the style that most artists in the 80s at Marvel seemed to be trying to emulate. And it turns out that that was intentional, right? Like, Romita Sr. became sort of the art director for Marvel. Um, I don't remember if that was exact his exact title or not. Eventually uh, it but was. he was kind of... He yeah. yeah started off doing the job because it needed doing and had a lot of uncredited work and would you know do out some layouts and then I think I mentioned Don Heck was one of the artists who would fill it in and then he'd go back in and change things so he he had his hands on a lot of different comics but wasn't you know the official art director uh, at first so a lot of a lot of work up front but. and eventually though like a uh, section of this this Romita Legacy book points out that throughout the uh, 70s and the 80s most of the uh, commercial images of Marvel Comics characters, and specifically Spider-Man, um, were designed by Romita. Like, Romita did the uh, designs for the toys, for the Thanksgiving Day Parade balloon for Spider-Man. Uh, so a lot of the, the public perception of the look of Marvel Comics was Romita. Um and I like the way the book phrases this, so I'm just going to... I took a screen grab of this, and I'm going to read it. He became the look of Marvel Comics not by being there at the beginning, but by shepherding the country, the, the company's interests through multiple forms of media by virtue of hard work and accessible art style, clever design sense, and a generosity of spirit. Um, which, again, kind of makes sense when you remember that Romita wanted to be an illustrator. Like he wanted to be yeah. an, a, like a commercial illustrator. That was his career aspiration before comics happened. I think it's also wanted to be a musician. Oh, what did he play? Says his idol was Irving Berlin. Oh, and he would have chucked the whole comics thing if he had any musical talent at all. Huh. Wanted to write songs and musicals. I guess. Are you telling me we could have the Romita, a, a Romita written musical or album at some point in our lifetimes if we were on a different timeline? We could have had yeah. a white Romita Christmas instead of Irving Berlin's White Christmas. I wonder what would change. <laughs> oh my gosh. Maybe in another timeline, Romita developed that musical talent and wrote a Spider Man musical. <laughs> that did it kill off died. like an actor? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One can only hope. Yeah. Do we think Julie Tamer's career survived that? <laughs> uh, no. No, I do not think it did. Yeah, I don't think so because my first re my first reaction was who? So, no. No. Yeah, exactly. We've talked a lot about the the earlier stories. Um, what about that Spider-Man 500? 
Oh, that hit like a truck. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm yeah. also in my personal life going through like a, quite a bit. So a story like that. Oh, that hit like an extra large truck. Um, <laughs> But, you know, kind of in terms of the art and stuff like that. I It was a little hard for me to tell how much of that was senior and how much of that was junior in terms of, of styling. I think... It's surprising to see somebody from that kind of era of comics have such a modern, for the time, have such a modern look in his art, like actually updating and being able to keep up with it. I'm glad you said that because I had the same problem of telling, all right, when are we going from junior to senior? Or is was it a, a collaboration where both of them did work on each page and yeah i mm -hmm. i really enjoyed it that's one where pretty quickly i got caught up in the story and i was like oh man this is extra spider-man this is so good and then yeah the <laughs> end just hits and you're like oh yeah which i mean any good uncle ben story will i think will hit <laughs> so you know i feel like that's a bit of a cheat but I feel like that's also quite easy to mess up, so maybe not as much of a cheat to do an Uncle this, Ben this story. Is, it's done so well, you know. Yeah. And makes I, sense, like, what else What else could it be that, you know, he gets? Mm -hmm. I think the other thing that was really interesting, and again, I don't know how much of this is junior or senior, but they did a lot of, I guess, like, what in film we call, like, match cuts, where you go from one scene... And to another one, but you kind of, you match, like, the pose of, like, the focus, but you are, like, in a different place or a different time. And they did that quite a lot in this book, where Spider-Man is jumping through his timeline, going from, like, significant event to significant event, right? Like, at one point, he's fighting the Vulture, and then he's fighting Electro, and earlier than that, he's fighting the Sandman, but he keeps doing, like, a match cut with Spider-Man receiving like some sort of damage or or hit from one of his opponents or just swinging around or something and it just flows into the next scene where we have like that same pose or the follow-up of that pose but we are in a new place with like a new villain and i thought that was actually surprisingly well done very cinematic yeah i loved that so i'm flipping through this book again having read again this this romita interview um one of the things that Romita was instructed to do, and I actually think it was Stan Lee who told him to do this, is to never have an image that is just heads. Always try to throw in a hand as well to add more character, more acting. And you can see him kind of break this rule, but like, the pages that I know that Romita Sr. did are the last couple with Uncle Ben. Uh, otherwise, I'm not sure how much of his, uh, how much he was involved in this story. But yeah, there are all these images. Like, I'm looking, issue 500, page 36, the second panel. Uncle Ben is kind of looking off in the distance, and Peter is looking at him. And we get this hand kind of creeping into the panel. Uh, Peter kind of like reaching out towards his Uncle Ben to make sure that he's really there while while Ben is talking and i'm picturing that panel without that hand there and it is far less dynamic so it's, it's just interesting some of these old writing tips that or drawing tips that uh were the the conventional wisdom of the 60s and 70s they're still more effective today than the like if it was me if i was drawing that panel that hand would not be there in part because hands are terrible and nobody <laughs> should draw hands. <laughs> um, and in part because I wouldn't have had that instinct. <sighs> I will say, like, this book, I definitely prefer the Ramita Senior, the stuff that I know that is Ramita Senior, to the stuff that I know is Ramita Junior. And I, again, I say this as someone who likes Ramita Junior, and it's not really fair to pit dad and son against each other. Um... I don't know. And maybe it's just a result of, of Ramita Sr.'s artwork being older and therefore have more of a classic sort of reputation to it than Ramita Jr., who is still working and therefore, you know, subject to the the 
current trend in taste, that sort of thing. But I, I, I like sort of the almost timeless feel of Romita Sr. Um, and I want to go back and read some more of that uh, classic run on Spider-Man, which maybe I'll do once I finish the Krakoa era of X-Men, because holy crap, there's a lot going on there and I'm not done yet. Like the new, the current Krakoa era? Yeah, that's what I did on my paternity leave. I, I took care of my kids and I read a whole bunch of X-Men. Well, that's the good thing about X-Men is there's always a lot of it around. Yeah. yeah. They just posted the <laughs> Hellfire Saga on the app and I have a feeling that's that's on the horizon. Oh, uh, which one? I think it's the third Hellfire Saga. This is the one that kicks off Fall of Mutants. If I if I understand what's going on correctly, yeah. I've been saving up like everything that's happened since um Dawn of X, House of X, you know. I know that that's been years yeah. now, but um I want to just like devour it one day and I probably should get on that before things start getting spoiled for me but anyway i got news for you it's gonna take more than a day do you think so <laughs> shoot <laughs> there's a lot of it well i have finished the first year of the krakoa era and holy crap that took a long time and i was on paternity leave so i don't have as much time for x-men now that i did before i'll have to wait till the kids are all in school and there's there's a few hours for for just me, and uh, yeah, burn through it that way, because I do not anticipate having another paternity leave coming up. Yep. Do we think that it's obvious to see from the Captain America books to the later ones that there is an improvement in quality and an improvement in style? Do we think that this continued to issue 500? Um... Is issue five hundred set apart and kind of not part of that conversation? Um, is there you know continued improvement? Does it matter? Is it is it once it hits the style? Does it stay that way from from what we've read here? This is just kind of a sample, purposely trying to get different eras. But what do you guys? I I think that once Romita found his style for superhero comics, that's what he stuck with. That's, that's kind of the sense that I got. And that doesn't mean he didn't continue to improve or, or try to refine things in, in different ways. But, like, he's, he's a professional. And once he found what worked, he continued to make that work. I think specifically... Yeah, and I think specifically you can really see that with Spider-Man and Daredevil. With a lot of the poses becoming a lot more dynamic... And just kind of weird all around, right? Because even Daredevil was doing some pretty, like, Spider-Man-ish poses in those books. Which, in the previous episode, when we talked about this, about doing this episode, we had mentioned that the Daredevil book was kind of an audition for him to work on Spider-Man. And so you can really feel that. You can really feel, like, a lot of the poses that Daredevil's doing, and probably was doing... A little bit prior up to that, up to like that audition, I would imagine maybe a couple issues. But you can tell that he kind of kept that. And essentially that's kind of become part of the character where he does, you know, some some of those weird poses. Not as, like, I guess contortion-y as Spider-Man, but still to some extent you feel that today. I noticed some of those, um, especially the scenes between Foggy and Matt. And uh, Karen in the you know law office there, it did feel like every now and again, you know, you'll read newspaper comics and there'll be an old you know Spider-Man where it's the the newspaper comic, but it's always it's very rarely, if ever, an action. At least when I've caught it, it's you know them talking somewhere before Spider-Man, you know, before Peter Parker goes out to be Spider-Man. So, yeah, I I can see that being like how we got from point A to. Did you know that? Romita drew a crossover with Charlie Brown. No, was that when like Charles Schultz passed or? No, um, I'm not. I have I've spent the day trying to find out where exactly this comes from. So Romita drew the Spider-Man newspaper strip for a couple of years. Uh, he originated it and drew it. I think for like four years after that, and. There is, there are actually two of these that I can find. Um, There is a Peanuts comic with Lucy, you know, setting up the football, 
for Charlie Brown to run up and kick it. And right before she can pull it away, Spider-Man webs her and pulls her out of the panel. So Charlie Brown is actually able to kick the ball. Ah, that's funny. And then there's another one where Snoopy is, you know, flying his sop with camel uh, to trying to track down the Red Baron. And Spider-Man webs him and spins him around in a circle and throws him. (laughs) The thing that I cannot figure out is, were these actually published? Like, in the newspaper, or were these just sketches? Um, Because newspaper comics used to do that. Like, on April Fool's, uh, folks would swap comics. And so you'd have, like... I don't know, Foxtrot drawn by the guy who did Boondocks or something like that. Um, And so I cannot figure out for the life of me if this is one of those or if this is just, you know, Ramita was like, he liked peanuts like every good thinking person and just drew some fan art with Spider-Man in it. I, I just, I can't figure it out. Either way, very cool. Yeah, it's fun to see, you know, well-known characters in a slightly different style like that. And, you know, given the chance, what would this famous artist do with this property? And it's also really great to see uh, Lucy get what's coming to her for all of the times she threw the football away. Right. Holy crap. <laughs> I think that's one of the last when... things that Charles said when he, uh, Charles Schultz said when he retired. He goes, oh, I just realized that I never let him kick that football, so... Makes sense that it <laughs> happened in an Elseworld situation like this one. I remember once upon a time filling out one of those uh, stupid Facebook quizzes, but this was like in the early days of Facebook, back when you, back before your likes actually had pages linked to them. You know, you could just say, I like this book, and that was part of your profile. Um, I filled out a list of five fictional characters that I wanted to punch in the face. Uh, one of them was Lucy Van Pelt and the other four were Katy Perry. Wait, is her, name, is her last name Van Pelt? Yeah. Lucy Van Pelt. Like the villain from Jumanji? Um, I prefer to think that villain of Jumanji was named after her. That seems more chronologically correct. At the- yeah, well, okay. Great, cool. <laughs> I have... I have knowledge and i don't know what to do with it <laughs> it could be worse yeah actually there on that super definitely more on, on a super quick side note about van pelt uh i was in vegas very recently and i used and i went to a jumanji themed slot machine and i made 120 dollars <laughs> out of my 20 on that machine oh, congratulations All right. so thank so thank you spirit of robin williams looking out for my wallet if it, I mean, I, it'd be nice if it had happened last week because that's, um, uh, it's been nine years as of last <laughs> week. Oh, well, it was. I was in Vegas. Yeah, last week. The 11th. No, wait, nope, never mind. It was a week before that. Preemptive. Well, either way. As long as you said something like Nanu Nanu as you pulled the slot. Like <laughs> I think, I think, uh, Robin Williams would have made an excellent Mysterio. That would be really cool. Yeah, I think we're at a point where we can transition to, um, I guess, ranking the stories that we're going to rank. Um, again, I would, I would propose that we not rank the, uh, the Spider-Man 500. Uh, I think we need to read the other two parts before we can really rank it. And I did not go back and read them because I am tired. Yeah, this is a this is a glorified book club and a non-judgy one, so no. <laughs> well, except for the part where we judge the books and put them in a list. Correct. But, but never <laughs> each other. Of... <laughs> I don't know. I judge a lot. So, yeah, that's true. Often silently. But... <laughs> I, I do too, um, vocally. <laughs> but yeah, I think we can hold off on that Spider-Man 500 and we can read all three parts of it and rate it individually. I thought it was going yeah. to be like an anthology book. Like I thought that was what I yeah. understood. Yeah, so I thought that Uncle Ben thing that we specifically read the book for, I thought that was going to be like its own separate story, right? So like when I first opened up the book, I was looking for like the title, quote unquote, title page for that and 
it wasn't there. So I just read the whole thing and I was like, okay, well, the whole thing, then it is. And actually, speaking about that, yeah. something I wanted to say about the Captain America book is that I liked... There's an aspect of it that I like that we don't do anymore because we don't do, like, those types of books anymore, right? Where it's, like, four separate stories in one book, unless it's, like, very specifically yeah. an anthology series. I did like how the quote-unquote cover page for each new story had to serve like multiple purposes right it's serving as a cover page it's also serving like as a bit of a summary and the last bit of it is also serving as like the hook to get you into the rest of the story so like the story starts out like at the bottom of those pages and the top part is you know trying to catch your attention but it's also it's doing like several things at once and just kind of thinking about that i was like dang like those cover pages I keep calling them that, but I don't know what else to call them. But, like, those cover pages feel like they might have been the hardest part of the book. Or, like, the individual stories. And they're easily the best part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, the splash page, is that... I don't even know if that's accurate either, but... Yeah. It, yeah. There's it's a, like an a lot introductory splash page. Yeah. Yeah, introductory yeah. page, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, um, just, just a little something, like, a, I kind of forgot to mention. But, yeah, those were... I, just thinking about those, I was like, yeah, we don't really see this anymore. And these are kind of cool. And I know there were efforts to say, like, we're after spies, not these good law-abiding Chinese Americans, but, like, man, they were not portrayed well at all. No. Yeah, uh, if we were talking no. about these as a, like, as a story, not just like we're talking about them now, which is just an examination of Romita's art, boy, I think we all would have had a lot more to say. About the characterization of Chinese Americans and Chinese uh, citizens in general. Un, unflattering, but... Yes. Um, I mean... Not to mention the very better dead than red sort of stuff going on. Like, there's this, ca- there's this guy who's being blackmailed by evil communists to give them, you know, national secrets. Or they will kill his child. And Captain America will not help the man until he can see that the man is not going to turn secrets over to the communists. Yeah, he even vets the little blind boy. <laughs> like, you're on the level, lad. It's just like, oh, gosh. Like, just help. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was oof. that was some stuff in there that I was like, that didn't age well. I also wasn't sure if that was part of the books that later got retconned into what was a u.s agent or whoever the fake captain america no was. not that fake captain america but it was a different fake captain america yes <laughs> the era of captain america commie smasher has been retconned so that this is not steve rogers and uh bucky barnes they're uh different characters i don't remember the the captain america name the, that guy's name but he comes back in the ed brubaker run for a little bit and this Bucky is Jack Monroe, who would eventually become Nomad, uh, before getting killed by the Winter Soldier. And to my knowledge, Jack Monroe has never come back, despite the fact that he had a trading card in the 90s. Oh, the gall comes around. There it is. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> like, so, since we're, talking about the, <laughs> since we're talking about the stories, I think let's do it in the context of the ranking. We currently have 251 stories on our list. Um... The highest ranking, I would say, old comic on our list is 1962's Spider-Man, Introduction of the Character. Uh, That's currently at number two on our list. And the only reason it's not at number one, I think, is because we just personally really, really, really like that. Uh, We like the way that Ms. Marvel makes us feel on the inside. Like, we're loved and respected. Um, There's hope. Lowest ranking old comic would be the first issue of Marvel Comics, which is honestly, it's that low, probably not even because it's bad necessarily, just because it's unnecessary. Uh, That's currently at number uh, 234. So, Captain America, uh, Commie Smasher, which I think we're gonna rank this one story and then never read anything from this story again, or from this line of Captain America comics again. (sighs) I think it goes pretty low on the list, honestly. Yeah. There's there like Aldo said, there is stuff to 
like about it, primarily in the art. But I don't think that that's strong enough that I would want to recommend anybody read it. I would probably put this... Uh, honestly, if it was me, I'd, I think where I really start to question if I'm not going too low is if I put it around number 245. That's pretty low. It's got some yeah. it's got some pretty ugly caricatures in it. Like I think those are I don't think we have ever read anything that actually has racist caricature like this book does. Right, X-Men Noir only had eugenics. Right. <laughs> and the caricature I find is actually deeply upsetting to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'd be okay with 245 honestly is that above above ultimate wolverine versus hulk i would put it below that yeah yeah mostly because i know a bunch of 14 year olds that would still love to read ultimate wolverine versus hulk (laughs) (laughs) one of them is the 14 year old that still lives in aldo's heart yeah (laughs) being aldo himself yeah that's roughly around how old I was when this book came out. <laughs> and I read I don't, it. Yeah. I think I read it when I was 16. I am I am definitely okay with this going above uh, Spider-Man Sins Past. Yes. So maybe the new 246. John, any significant objection? No, I. this is a good spot for it. It's not aged well at all. And it breaks up our... <laughs> like, the, the grossness from the early aughts. All of those... Our bottom 10 was all from 2000 to 2010. That's crazy. Yeah, I think that um, that decade, I think there's a good chance that that decade is the worst decade in comics. Not that there wasn't good stuff in there, but the bad stuff was just really bad. <laughs> like, there was a ton of good stuff in there. Let's, like, I just mentioned the, the Ed Brubaker run on Captain America. That was in that decade. That's when I got into comics. But boy, a lot of that stuff just didn't age well. By even the next decade. Jeez. Anyway, so this uh, Daredevil Spider-Man team-up slash crossover. Um, I think in terms of story, this out of the three, that one probably goes the highest for me. I think I agree. I don't think it goes super high because I don't think it's notable other than, hey, this is John Romita's audition for the job of iconic spider-man artist right um but it's yeah i have a hard time putting this like a like just in terms of story like probably like above or around night of the sentinels which is like 162 what was night of the sentinels is that when they're introduced Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, the, we're talking old X Men. Yeah, this yeah. is a Stan Lee one. Mm-hmm. I would put it above. Yeah, I think I would put it above that, but probably I wouldn't go. I don't know that I would even go above Old Man Logan, frankly. And I don't even know that I liked Old Man Logan, but um, I think it's insulting to say that this book is is not as good as Lee and Kirby's worst work, which was the X Men. They're they're <laughs> the early, those early X Men books are just not very good. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, that's an, that's an easy floor. I'm not sure I would go much higher. Especially since, and I, I know that this is a stupid comparison to make, but I look at Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, and I'm like, I would rather read that. Yeah, See, like I wouldn't a, read it, but the story story works yeah. better. Yeah, yeah. So, so would we just put this at 162? I think yeah. that's what it sounds like. Okay. All right, and that story is actually called Enter... Dot, 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 Spider-Man. That. I'm not going to say anything. (laughs) (laughs) And then the, the final story, the, the birth of a superhero where John Jameson gets superpowers and never gets a superhero name. He's already an astronaut. What would Buzz Aldrin's superhero name be? His name is Buzz <laughs> Aldrin. I mean, he would be one of those superheroes that just goes by their name. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. Luke Cage. Yeah. Except, you know, Luke Cage kind of goes by Cage. He would just be Buzz. Well, he also yeah. goes by Power Man. That's Buzz true. Aldrin he goes by Power Man? 
Is that Luke Cage? <laughs> no. <laughs> Luke Cage goes by Power Man. He's all about That's that true. power, man. And no one man should have all that power. Okay, Jessica Jones then. <laughs> Knew it was coming. <laughs> uh, she had a superhero name too. All right, then the third example that we'll edit in later. <laughs> um, ah, yes, John, you are very right on that one. Thank you, Aldo. <laughs> I'm save that clip and just play it as I fall asleep. <laughs> I just gave uh, you a little something so that when we when we edit that in there, it's not yeah, just followed just, up by silence. <laughs> I can't do oh, Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> Yeah, Cricket's not being uh, handy for a quick edit. Yeah, thank you for that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, here's the thing. I, uh, this, yeah. I don't know. No, the thing wasn't any of these books. <sighs> I liked the Spider-Man poses, the art, better in this one. But I think I like the story of Daredevil more, so it's tricky to me mm-hmm. where to put this one, you know. Um, I, I mean, it's it's somewhere around here, but... Part of me wants to go higher, but that you know we're gonna start hitting ones that I think, like I said, work better. It's less of a, you know, a chapter in a, in a serial, and I mean we kind of, you know, plucked a few things, mm-hmm. just to get you know a span over the decades, but still. So so let me ask you this question: How does this book compare to Long Shot? Oh, it's better. Everything's better than Long Shot. <laughs> <laughs> a knee to the groin is better than long shot <laughs> and depending on whose knee it may not feature mullets so <laughs> that's at 194 mm-hmm. um, I don't want I don't know that I want to go that low because I was about to say this book isn't bad I'm like well no it's not great the only notable thing about it is the uh First appearance of Mary Jane. Mm-hmm. Which puts it that's... above 170, which is Mary Jane Homecoming. We can all agree on that, yes? Uh... <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No, we do not agree. Dang it, I lost I the... I did not consent. I lost yeah. the Aldo caucus. I thought I was going to be aligned on this <laughs> issue, and we'd have a coalition, <laughs> but I guess not. No, if there's one thing you and I can agree on is that Longshot sucks, but if one thing Steven and I can agree on is that Mary Jane Homecoming rocks. <laughs> <laughs> I So I was looking... So part of the reason why I asked about Longshot is because I was looking at a bunch of the Star Wars books specifically in that area, not for any real reason, other than I was thinking, I kind of would prefer to read most of these over that just for sake of them being more entertaining and having sassy Darth Vader in them. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. So like war- I, I still maintain that Vader down is way too low on this list, and I don't know how that happened. I don't know either. I think we just kept like filling up the top above it. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it was number nine when we started, so... Yeah, it was an old... Yeah, but it was old, like, that was like yeah. episode seven. Yeah. yeah. So that okay. means, what's the roof I would thing? Say... Is that 172 is as high as it could go? Or it'll become the new 173? Or lower, oh, I see, there's more Star Wars lower down. Mm-hmm. So, like, Vader Down is I 184. I actually think, so I think that Vader Down might be my, and if we do at some point rectify this injustice and put Vader Down higher on the list, um, Fatal Attractions is probably still my ceiling. Yeah, I can agree with so, that. So, okay. yeah. I think number the the new one eighty five is where I would put that. Yeah, I could be down with that. Yeah. Yes, sir. All right. Done and done. Some of the easiest ranking we've done in a while. I think so. So we are eventually going to read every comic that is available on Marvel Unlimited, with the exception of any other. Uh, Atlas era Captain America books because those honk. They're so bad. Um, <laughs> for next time, we are going to continue a couple of series that we have already started. Uh, one day we are going to finish uh, Superior Spider-Man. Uh, we're going to read what would be in in trade the third volume. So that would be Superior Spider-Man numbers 11 through 15. And then we are going to finish up the first volume 
of the Dan Slott, Mike Allred, Silver Surfer before it was rebooted in the wake of Secret Wars, uh, which is, again, uh, issues 11 through 15. So it's a Dan Slott double feature. Because he I'm, wrote both of those books. I'm very excited about this. It'll be good, good reading uh, the whole time. Because sometimes yeah. it's, we got a good book and we got a meh book or mm-hmm. you know lesser books. These will both be very... I, I've read Superior Spider-Man before and I know it's great. So I'm looking forward to more Silver Surfer Dan Slot. Because I always say, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read up on that. And I haven't. So now I get yeah. to. And I have read the the Silver Surfer stuff, and I'm quite fond of it. And I'm looking forward to getting more of the Dan Slot in there as well. 